You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. Y'all, we were having a whole discussion earlier today about how to, like, which words to use for... Oh, for, yeah, yeah. pronoun, uh, not pronouns. No, not pronouns, but no, like... Uh, that's another gr- conversation. That's, <laughs> we're not having that But one. like groupings of men and women. Like, yeah. what's up, ladies? Ladies. Uh, or what's up, I boys? I strongly urge Kyle and JT not to say ladies. We won't. We won't. <laughs> we never, we won't. Never Unless they're calling the men gentlemen. Excuse <laughs> me, gentlemen and ladies. I prefer to be called gentlemen. Will you call me a gentleman? I will never. call you gents um, when from you, now When on. you become what's one, up, I'll, call, I'll call you gentlemen. <laughs> on today's episode, we're back in the Apostles' Creed to discuss everlasting life. I hope you enjoy the discussion. Hey, both of y'all have books coming out. Well, you, I'm sorry, you just had a study come out, excuse me. I was going to say. And you've got a book that's coming out in well, 2020. It's supposed to, yeah, I need to write it. <laughs> You're writing it. You're writing it. I've heard the it. content. I've, yeah. Okay, so you just had a, a study come out through Lifeway. I did. Hebrews. Yep. Well, we like to call it Shebrews. Okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> and it's a 10-week study? 12-week study? 35? 10 weeks. I wanted it to be 35. I believe it. But it's 10. Okay, so it's, and it's called Better, right? Yeah, Better. Mm-hmm. Are you pumped about it? I am pumped. Yeah. Okay. I um I feel really good about how it turned out. Mm-hmm. Like, When was the first time you taught through? Because you, you taught this series years ago. Maybe maybe three or four years ago is the first time that we we did it. And it was um, it was really like I always choose to study something that I need, you know, like first and foremost. So it's a little selfish, but also I think it helps your teaching to have more life when you're like as desperate for the information as the people you're teaching. And I I had read Hebrews or I had like sat and talked about it with someone in a in a like in a in a mentoring setting, but mm-hmm. I don't think I had ever studied Hebrews and it was a real tough thing to study, yeah. but really worth the time. And so I wanted to create a study that would make it easy without dumbing down the content, you mm-hmm. know, that would give the content to um, women without cutting corners. Yeah. When Macy and I first got engaged, I, I'd been a Christian, or I'm sorry, I'd been engaged, started dating. I'd been a Christian for weeks. Yeah. Like weeks. Mm-hmm. And a guy was tr- trying to disciple me, and he said, well, now that you're dating somebody, you need to lead her spiritually. Sure. I've been a Christian for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> She'd been a Christian for over a decade. <laughs> and so God bless I, I, think, I think, okay, so I need a leader in a Bible study, Sure. <laughs> which I would not recommend for a Christian who's been a Christian for weeks, let alone just started dating a girl. Uh-huh. And I was like, I mean— uh, you're actually touching on a little hot button I know you issue are. for I me. I know you are. I know you are. I, I know I am. And I was like, well, I don't, let's just do Hebrews. I oh. had no idea what was going on. What What led you there? I don't know. The Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Spirit of the a Macedonian Lord. Call. Yeah. yeah Macedonian I mean, it was call. just like, I mean, it's as good as any other, right? It's all God's word. Yeah. Let's do wow. that. Well, that's kind of how I wandered into it. Someone said, I'm embarrassed to even admit this, but one of the women on my team goes, you know, Hebrews is, you know, 13 chapters. That's about the length of a semester. So that'd be easy. And I'm like, great, let's do it. <laughs> no. Those people did not love us. No, they did not love us. But what you really needed was a Jen Wilkin Bible study. I did. <laughs> I it would have held your hand through that. the mm-hmm. process. I wouldn't have told her I was using a study. I would have just done the study on my own and then came with those insights to the Bible study. I, I got to <laughs> tell you, I, I, around my neck of the woods, I regularly see somebody sitting in a coffee shop 
most of the time it's a young woman, and she'll have her Bible open and a like a Jin Wilkins study. Mm-hmm. And I have I have the hardest time not going up to him and be like, I if know you her. knew her, you would do her study. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but no, I saw, uh, I put this in the notes for today because I saw somebody doing the study oh, this week. Really? Uh, yes. I was like, Oh, there you go. There's somebody sitting out of a coffee shop doing the Hebrew study. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm really excited to have it out there. That's cool. Maybe I, I've been Hebrew excited about the podcast. Mm-hmm. We could. Yeah. Yeah. We could. It could be fun. I've been excited about it. But you, would, you, you need to lead it with I, your oh, vast yeah. experience. <laughs> I've gone through it once guys. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried that you and Macy got married. You should have looked for someone who knew the Bible less well. I mean, I think she was just being so gracious to me. I mean, she was like, uh-huh. and that has, that has continued. <laughs> that has continued yeah. <laughs> um, all right, but but you have you have a book coming out this year? Yeah, September. I called, am pumped. Me too. Called Deep Discipleship. Yep, Deep Discipleship: How the Local Church Can Make Whole Disciples. Uh, it's really. I mean, the institute was kind of birthed out of some of these ideas, but really just my my conviction that the local church is the place. Uh, for us to have learning environments, places where we're trying to make holistic disciples. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's uh, it's due in like three weeks. So uh, it'll, of course, have a long editing process. <laughs> I'm about 40,000 words into it right now, and I've got a lot of work to do. And you've got weeks. you've got your Amazon pre-order page up. There is did a, you know that? I did. Somebody, somebody said that to me. <laughs> he texted me and he's like, this has got weird really yeah, fast. Like, oh, dang. I, like, I need yeah. to go write this. <laughs> Buckle up. It's terrifying. That's awesome. Yeah, well, uh, I'm pumped about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've gotten to hear some of the content. And it's good. Thanks, brother. I mean, I'm excited. I mean, you guys have helped shape so much of it also. I didn't know whether to put a footnote at the beginning of the end and say, these ideas are a third mine. <laughs> you know? Jen and Kyle share in these ideas a lot too. But it's, it's, been, it's been one of those things. It's, uh, these ideas have been a work in progress for me for uh-huh. about seven or eight years. Yeah. And so to finally come to a place. And I said no to writing the book the first mm. few times. I just didn't. I didn't want to write a book until I was older, had some more ministry experience underneath me. But it just felt like the right time with this, this book in particular and these ideas. Yeah. So it's for ministry leaders primarily, but hopefully we hope for just for Christians too. I love it. I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to read it. Well, today we're going to read the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed is what we have been going through um, over the course, uh, really, of the third season and now entering into the fourth season. And uh, I was going to ask Jen, do you have this? Or do you no. have the creed up? I'll read it. It's no big deal. I can read it. You can read it next time. Here we okay. go. I'm She's read- reading her Hebrews Bible study. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's actually signing copies. Yeah. <laughs> Dropping the mail. <laughs> With a photo of a pug. Um, uh, This is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 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 So today, we're going to explore the life everlasting. So let's let's jump in. Let's begin with a big one. Are we promised eternal life in Scripture? It's a trick question. Uh, I know it is. I I'm trying to say. trick you. Yeah. I'm trying to decide. <laughs> it depends to... what you mean by eternal. Perfect. Let's talk about it. What does eternal mean, Kyle? Eternal means has always been, will always be. Forever backwards and forever forwards. We are not promised that. Okay. So, but when somebody... None, none of us, not only not promised that, none of us have that. Right. Why? I, why well, because but, we came into being. Mm. Our bodies and souls 
were created by there God. There was a time when time. we did not exist. Right. So God you, is the only, if we're defining. He's yesterday, today, and forever. Yes. We are today and forever. Yeah. Yeah. So, but doesn't scripture say I'm like, that God's giving me eternal life? Uh, yeah. So th- then it means, are you defining eternal differently right. there? And it does a little bit. I think the creed, what it's trying to highlight here isn't just an aspect of a quantity of time, mm-hmm. but also a quality of time. What, yeah. what, what you're given is a gift of a quality of time with God, not a quantity of promised life forward and backward. Yep. I think that's the, that's a big point here is that we're really not talking about some sort of number of years as if you could ever attach a number of years to either forever or eternal. Um, well, I was going to read John three sixteen, but my daughter has ripped the page. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you have oh an interesting my gosh! It's the right one to pull out. Which one to read? Do you need a little help with quoting John three sixteen <laughs> since it's no longer in your Bible? Yeah, if somebody could read it for me, because I do think that this is the verse when people say, "When no. like if you're hearing me say, you don't ha- you you don't get eternal life." Then you're immediately your John three sixteen alarm goes off. You say, "But yeah, but doesn't John three sixteen say, what's it say?" For God to so love the world. Oh my gosh, Kyle. <laughs> I just wanted to Are you really stuck? Do you not no. even know Tim Tebow? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Perfect. Or what some translations say. Eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. But mm-hmm. the creed says everlasting life. And the reason it does that is because, one, again, we're not concerned with attaching a specific number of years, but I actually think this is a vitally important thing. It is, yeah. Because a lot of times we talk about eternal life, but we actually haven't been given it. We've been given forever life or everlasting life. We had a point when we did not exist. We came into being, but now there will never be a time where we don't exist. Yeah, So, but I'm going to put, I agree with you, Yeah. but just pushing a little bit. That, you were not, at your conversion, you were not given more time to be alive. No, no, no. You were no. going to be alive forever, forever, yes. regardless. Yes, and that is actually found in John chapter five, just a few pages later. John five twenty eight and twenty nine. Do not marvel at this. These are the words of Jesus. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Yeah. So life everlasting is not a promise for us to have a longer life than we had beforehand. Right. It's not that we had a life that was going to be 80 years. It's now going to be forever. It's that you were always – you always had a life that was going to be forever. Yep. The quality of that life has now changed and you're yes. now in the sun. So it's like – the way I like to think of it is like have you ever had one of those experiences that you wished would never end? Yeah. Usually it's maybe – uh, sitting around a table doing a podcast <laughs> with knowing faith friends. I actually right? think that might be a metaphor for the <laughs> right. flip side of this right. question. Right. <laughs> Have Maybe you ever had an experience that you... That you were like, how does this happen? Yeah. But you've had those. Maybe it's like, uh, like I had one the other day with Bailey. Just yeah. She was just in my lap. Her, her head was on my chest. Mm-hmm. And I was singing to her, tickling her back. And I was like, I could do this forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ends, yeah. you know, I've got to go or she's got to go, or perhaps it's a relationship that you really enjoy a marriage that you just, I, I don't want this, this to end. But in this life, all of those things do come to an end. Yep. Uh, but whatever lasting life is a promise of is the thing that we most hope never ends. Our union with Christ, our enjoyment of fellowship with the triune God, we're promised that that will never end, yep. mm-hmm. that, it, that it is a life of everlasting joy. Yep. Well, I think actually it's something 
it's what we're seeing in John ten ten. But I think we often think of the I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly, have yeah. it to the full. We think of that in terms only of our temporal life sure. often. But I think what he's touching on there, because also because we're in the same gospel that we've already pointed to right. a couple of other times in this podcast, is he's saying, no, the meaning of having eternal life is that you enjoy this abundance of um, yeah. of the fullness of God. Here and here, later. Here and later. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. I'm actually a bit concerned that in course correcting from over spiritualized views of heaven and in course correcting from an over like a, a an over torch view that the Christian life is primarily about getting to heaven that we've now actually ended up on the opposite side of it where we when we talk about life with God we only will talk about it in terms of human flourishing or kingdom flourishing in the here and now. Mm-hmm. And I, that really concerns me. It concerns me because I actually think that wanting heaven, like not like wanting eternity mm-hmm. is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that it typically, um, because you hear this all the time right now, there's been quite a significant push about, hey, you know, uh, eternity doesn't start, you know, when we die, but like it starts right now and that's fine. The kingdom isn't, you know, doesn't just start when we when we die. It started now. We're between the already and the not yet. And we can have joy in Jesus now. We can experience human flourishing and we can pray that God will bring kingdom flourishing throughout the world in our time. And I got to tell you, I, I think all those things are right and good. At the same time, I I often feel like they emerge from a place of real privilege, of not mm-hmm. wanting, uh, of not being well acquainted with the griefs and the sorrows that will only fully come to an end mm-hmm. when all things are brought to fruition mm-hmm. in Christ in the fullness of time 
which means the new heavens and the new earth. And so I like I'm I'm great with emphasizing hey, we can begin to enjoy this everlasting or abundant life with God right now as long as we know that the gap between our enjoyment of it today and when it comes in fullness is beyond huge. It is massive. It's massive. And uh, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I I think there's another side to the coin, too, among people who enjoy a great number of choices or Mm -hmm. resources in this life, and that is that they... Um, when they encounter any form of adversity or if they fear future adversity, mm-hmm. that they um, start to engage in a in a version of sort of sanctified escapism. Yeah. And it's that, oh, I want I want heaven because I want to avoid X, right. Y or Z happening. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. And so I, I actually think you see this. I'm, I'm coming to terms with this the more that I age. Um, but the closer that we get to knowing, okay, I definitely don't have this many more years. Mm. Like even we went to lunch yesterday for my birthday and Jeff was with us and he prayed, Lord, we thank you for Jen's first 50 years. I'm 51 this year. He's like, we pray for her for first 51 years and we pray for her her next half century. And I was like, dude, we all know I don't have another half century. It was hilarious. But that the more you start to realize, you know, oh, there's less of this remaining than yep. there has been already, mm-hmm. the more that that escapist idea tends to creep in because we don't want to face death. Mm. Yeah. And so that's I think that's why you see so oftentimes um, the older um, Christian saints become very fixated on like the second coming. Mm-hmm. They start to talk about it a great deal. Yeah. Have you read Michael Allen's book, Grounded in Heaven? No. So uh, I read this book a year ago. I'm, I'm not I was looking trying to look some things up. I couldn't find it. So I'm not trying to like quote the book, mm-hmm. but the book is basically responding to this idea of an over-materialized eschatology, which mm-hmm. is kind of what you're talking about, yeah. where we're grateful for theologians like N.T. Wright. Like, I'm very, very grateful for him and in, in rooting our understanding of the future world, not in kind of some platonic, right. spiritualized, right. we're all going to go to heaven when we die, and that's it. Yeah. But rather, God is renewing this world, this kingdom, and our resurrected bodies will enjoy labor and work and fellowship, relationships in the presence of God. That's been a, r- a right correction. But Michael Allen's book is saying we might have actually overcourse corrected a little bit. Oh, I think we have. And and so his book, Grounded in Heaven, is reminding Christians that actually, yes, we have this future hope that will be physical, but our greatest hope is actually in God. Yeah. And he roots Christian hope in what in what traditionally has been known as the beatific vision. Mm-hmm. Is just not not like what we should not meditate on is necessarily resurrection. Right. We should resu- we should meditate on God. Right. And that is available and accessible to us now. That it's this ongoing communion and fellowship that that is the hope of everlasting life, not just that we'll have resurrected bodies. Yep. I think that's a really good point. I would just point out that the difference between meditating on the resurrection, I mean, by by definition when you move from a more material understanding to a more immaterial understanding, you move from concrete to abstract. Mm-hmm. It is very hard for people to wrap their heads around, oh, so eternity is just going to be the beatific vision? Right. So can you help us with that? Can you make that a more appealing idea of, of our eternal state? Well, I, I, gosh, I... I, I do. First of all, let's define beatific yeah. vision. Yeah. That might help people. Well, when, when we say beatific vision, we're basically saying, along with the psalmists, that our greatest hope is to behold the face of God, mm-hmm. to enjoy his presence. Yeah. To look upon him and to be with him. To taste and see that the Lord is good. JT, right. I'm so proud of you. 
I was trying to define your terms. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Using I think that's the first time I've ever done that. circle moment. Yeah. I've learned so much from you, Jen. Thank yeah. you. I'm having a beatific moment. Yeah, there it, is. yeah. there it is. I was just waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so our greatest hope is to behold the face of God. Yeah. To gaze at his beauty, at his glory, at his splendor, at his transcendence, and to simply be captivated forever. That is how beautiful he is. Mm-hmm. That is how glorious he is. That is a better hope than having a body again. Right. Now, because, are we going to have a body cause, again? Because there, there are people who are going to have a body again. Who will not have a beatific vision. Exactly. And who will and be And that's separate. actually what makes yeah. hell hell, yeah. mm-hmm. is that you are not enjoying the presence mm-hmm. of God the way that the mm-hmm. saints are. Yeah. Uh, so, again, I'm in no way trying to critique those of uh, the, the theologians who've helped us recapture the physicality mm-hmm. and, the, and the materiality of our future hope. That was a right course correction. Yeah. But let's not over course correct. Be reminded that the reason that that matters is because you will have a physical body that is beholding the face of God. Yeah. That's the greater hope. Yeah. And I think that, th- yes, that as well, um, uh, the, this idea of gazing upon the Lord, but it's also, I think, seeing everything else in, in the proper light. Like the psalmist says, in your light do we see light. Mm-hmm. That's right. And in Revelation, the author of Revelation is clear about the vision of the new heavens and the new earth, that there will be no need for sun. Why? Because the glory mm-hmm. of the Lord will illuminate the world. Mm-hmm. So it, I really, I, I, I hate for this to sound trite because I don't mean it this way, but part of the beatific vision is seeing the Lord and then living, gosh, living a perfect day at rest with God, with Mm -hmm. self, with others and with the world Mm -hmm. forever. Mm -hmm. Like imagine like the most perfect day of rest of freedom from division against self, others, God and the world and enjoying the bounty of a fully redeemed and restored world. Yeah. That's what it's going to be like. Yeah. So it's and it's we maybe get glimpses of it, like JT was talking about in those moments that we don't want to end, but they're like vapor trails of it, right? But in heaven, that's what the the the, the feast is. Is it's like that moment, or that moment to the nth degree, to the unimaginable degree, forever. That's right. Like the end of everlasting life isn't a resurrected body. It's God. Yes. Uh, there's, I'm reading a – I just pulled up a – I was trying to find a quote. I actually found one, not the one I was looking for, but one that is helpful if we're still kind of thinking through what the beatific vision is. This is uh, Jonathan Edwards. The beatific vision is the pleasure of seeing God is so great and so strong that it takes the full possession of the heart. It fills it to the brim full so that there shall be no room for any sorrow, no room in any corner for anything of an adverse nature from joy. There is no darkness that can bear such a powerful light. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. There's just nothing in the world that could take away from us being captivated by the beauty of God is, is what we're trying to get at. And one of the things that, that again, that Alan is talking about in this book is that needs to be recaptured yeah. by the evangelical tradition. I have been working and working and working on this book on the Ten Commandments. And one of the things that just keeps striking me, you know, you get the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Yep. Which is, it is its own commandment, but it is also this umbrella statement about everything that will follow after. 
And that in the new heavens and the new earth, it is no longer a command. It is a statement of truth. Like in the new heavens and the new earth, we shall have no other gods before him. Right. And, and, and we'll, we will have entered into our rest, as you, as you already mentioned, Kyle. But just that, that is a promise that I don't know that we, because we don't fully apprehend the cost of having other gods before him. Yeah. We don't fully apprehend the pleasure and the joy of at last having all of those gods toppled. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. I don't know that I've thought about the top, like the final top, like overthrow, so mm-hmm. to speak. Well, I mean, of- even the reference that you made to, you know, that there will be no sun. Right. Is, is also a veiled reference yeah. to the principal deities of Canaan and Egypt. Right. It's like all of these things that you've given your worship to, you won't anymore yeah. because he will be he will be fully revealed as the only true rational object of worship. Yeah. Okay. So let's pivot here a little bit to talk about different states of everlasting life. Wait, before we do that, can we back up? Because we did we skipped a part that we've usually oh, we done. We have not talked about why this is mentioned specifically in the creed. Like oh, okay. of all of the things yeah. that could have been in here, why is this one of the statements that, that is included? Yeah. I, and why at this place in the creed? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. One, we have to keep in mind that this is largely a pre-modern community that has um, – there are different views on uh, the good life – different views on life, what comes after death. Mm-hmm. And there are different views that have had to be sorted out by the Christian community on what resurrection actually means. And so I think the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting is the creed indicating uh, that, hey, like the there is a there is something that goes beyond this. Death mm-hmm. is not the final word. We also have to keep in mind that one of the most for us, we live in a culture where we're continually maintaining distance between us and mortality. This was a was a time in which that you didn't have that. There was, I mean, it was just everywhere, uh, and people died a lot sooner than we typically treat it. Um, and it was far more prevalent as a kind of moment in culture and society. It was just, it was something that was unavoidable, and so I I do think that this is the creed indicating the Christian has a great hope beyond death, mm-hmm. beyond death, which is not just the resurrection of the body, but everlasting life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, I mean, anything to add to that, JT? No, I think it's perfect. Good. I don't you, know. You may proceed. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I know you're saying this, but like, just to say, if I was going to add one line, I would say, this is the goal of our existence. That's why it's in the creed. Life everlasting is the goal of our existence. If we're talking about life everlasting as the beatific vision, mm-hmm. we were created to enjoy the presence of God forever. Mm-hmm. And this is the movement of God's redemptive mm-hmm. work, well, his creative work in the first verse. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker. Mm-hmm. To what ends were we being made? Life everlasting. Mm-hmm. We messed it up, but Jesus has come to fix it and to give it back to us. And so the end to which we were made was to be the creation of the creator and to enjoy his presence mm-hmm. forever. Well, as the liturgy says, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. That's right. World without end. So it's that pointing back to the beginning and saying, what was it supposed to be like? Mm -hmm. It is now like that forever. Mm -hmm. So talking about that forever and what it will be like forever, we have to turn to talking about different states of everlasting life. One One of which we have already talked about, which is that 
everlasting life for the believer is life with God forever in a redeemed and restored place. And that the great joy of that will be the very sight of God and seeing everything else in light of God. And yet there will also be a redeemed and restored world. But there is another state of everlasting life, which is separation from God. And the creed talks about that this Lord Jesus will, he, uh, that he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and seeth the right hand of God, God the Father, my, from which he will come to judge the living and the dead. We know that the resurrection of the body is not just the resurrection of all of those who are living, meaning alive with God, spiritually alive, but the resurrection of the dead, those who persisted in rejection and rebellion against God. Yeah. And now we'll remain forever separated from God. So are there two states? Are there more than two states of everlasting life? Is there some sort of third category? Or when we're talking about life everlasting, are we really just talking about there will be those who enjoy life with God and there will be those who forever, everlasting, will experience life apart from God? I think it's the latter. I think there's two yep. two states. And it's really hard to not talk about this with a great deal of sobriety. Mm-hmm. I mean, for we just need to pause and realize this is not just a theological point to pontificate on, but a realization that, I mean, there's, I mean, we know people who this is true. I know people who this is true of, at least at this point, yeah. by their own confession. Yeah. Uh, I know the people who are listening by their, you know, they, they might have spouses, mm. children, fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, coworkers, who... If we really believe that the very essence of heaven is to be in the presence of truth, goodness, and beauty, the very which which is for us a person, right? Yeah. It's Jesus. Yeah. Then the essence of hell is to be without truth, goodness, and beauty, and to forever experience the absence of Christ. Yeah. And I can't imagine anything more horrific. Yeah. I do want to ask just for a clarification. Because when we say separation from God, mm-hmm. what do we mean and what do we not mean with the understanding that God is omnipresent? Can you help and help yeah. help we, with the language? We mean we mean that separation uh, separation from God doesn't mean that there is going to be a part in the world uh, in the universe. Or I don't gosh, that seems strange to say, but <clears throat> there's not going to be any cosmic place where God is absent. Absent. Separation from God means not enjoying covenant blessings, but enduring curses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is not the presence of it is not the presence of enjoyment or delight. It's the presence of judgment. Right. So and actually this ties in with the term that JT's already talked about of the beatific vision, mm-hmm. because the Old Testament formula was that you had beatitudes or blessings mm-hmm. and then they were paired with corresponding cursings. Yep. And so if the believer enters into eternity under the beatific vision of yep. God, then the unbeliever enters into eternity under the the woe is is you yeah. so it was it was it was blessed art thou or or woe to you were yeah. the two corresponding terms yeah. and gosh i i have to say i um even talking about it it's just so hard for me um i've like, got my people i think about yeah i think we all do i think we all do like it's um i hope we all do and I think the important thing to remember, I was in so many environments where people when dealing with the doctrine of hell, seminary environments or theological training environments where 
we just we're, we're environments where people who are lost were talked about very callously. Where you love ideas more than and the doctrine of people, hell was yeah. just talked about as like this, just very conceptual thing, and everybody was arguing over who ended up there and who didn't. And the fact of the matter is, is that we don't know. Right. We have no idea. Um, we do know that God calls us in Scripture to place faith in Christ. Um, and that for those who are in Christ Jesus and now, they will forever be in Christ. And that once we enter into that union, it is unbreakable and unshakable because it's sealed by God himself. And who enters into that union is purely by the grace of God. Um, and it's not – we don't get the – we don't get the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But I do think it's important to consider the doctrine of hell and the doctrine of everlasting life apart from God. One, because if <clears> – <throat> and Joshua Ryan Butler has done excellent work on this. We had him on a – back when, cult, when Culture Matters was around – well, I guess they're still around, but – At TVC. At TVC. Um, uh, we did a, an episode with Joshua Ryan Butler on skeletons in God's closet where he talked about the doctrine of hell. And that book is very good. I highly recommend that book um, in talking about hell. But, you know, he often quotes um, C.S. Lewis, who, who said that hell is locked from the inside, hmm. that we often think that there is a um, that anybody who who ends up in everlasting life apart from God ended up there despite hmm. what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And yet our doctrine of sin says, no, that hell is filled with people who've chosen to be there mm-hmm. and who have persisted in that choice. And, um, it's hard. This can be a challenging idea because especially with just kind of, I think the human nature is to think about things being equitable yep. and we should all have the same opportunity, the same chances. And, and what we're saying is, is yes, Hell is entirely equitable. Grace isn't. Yeah. The the if you're going to use this, this is an overreaching term, but grace is unfair. Yeah. But it's unfair to those who've received it. Yeah. Like we we grace is not equitable. Yeah. It is we deserved hell. Yeah. But we're given everlasting life. Yeah. Because of nothing that we did, nothing God saw in us, nothing that we'll do in the future it wasn't a good investment strategy. He just loved us. Yeah. I don't like ending the episode like this. No, I don't either. Well, I do just think, you know, um, like it bothers me sometimes when at a funeral or when someone dies, it'd be like, well, at least he loved the Lord, you know, at least he loved the Lord. And it's like, okay, that's great. Like it is wonderful when you have had a clear profession of faith. Mm-hmm. But um, in thinking about, you know, loved ones who it's likely that when they die, I and others in my family or in my circles might not have certainty yeah. about the state of their heart. And at first it can feel like, oh, we want certainty. But I'm learning to say, no, the thing that I'm certain of is that God is good. Yeah, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't uh, articulate how that plays out with regard to a loved one's eternal state. Yeah. But I can say that the goodness of God is expressed to me in, in not knowing so like rather than me spend a lot of time trying to sort the fish (laughs) as the parable goes or sort the wheat from the chaff i can say um i bless you lord that you know all things and and i and i trust you even though nothing around me makes me want to like but but i but i know that your word testifies to your infinite goodness and then i can i can let it go um i think there's sometimes a weird 
morbid conversation that happens around the eternal state of people when when the reality is we don't actually truly know the eternal state of anyone's heart, although obviously some people we feel more certain of than others. So I think I've learned um, through the years to just to, to tread lightly. Yeah. And to err on the side of compassion in these conversations instead of trying to get a, get a doctrine perfectly, certainly in the moment of loss, mm-hmm. to start parsing a doctrine is, is not a great idea. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. You're absolutely right. I forget who said it, I, I, but somebody, I think it was somebody famous. It was probably Jen. Uh, <laughs> you guys are the official worst. Uh, we'll be surprised by a few things in heaven. We'll be surprised by who's not there and we'll be surprised who's there. Mm. You know, we do try to parse these things out mm-hmm. much too finely. And only God is in, in, in his infinite wisdom knows. Yeah. yeah. I would, if you, if this is something that uh, specifically on the doctrine of hell that you want to spend more time on, I would really encourage one for the, uh, for heaven. I really would really encourage you to check out. It sounds like Michael Allen's book is great. It's a, yes, it's a very good book. It's probably a bit more like on the seminary okay. side of things if you enjoy reading those kinds of books. Fantastic. And then um, Joshua Ryan Butler's book, Skeletons in God's Closet for Doctrine of Hell. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we're going to take a look at some explosions in Ephesus. How's that for a teaser? That's so classic Kyle (laughs) Worley. See you next time. Grace and peace.